Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. You know that cliche, the best way to kill a frog? They grow all the lobster in the pot. In this case, a lobster. Put it in water and then raise the heat. Like we're slowly getting boiled by the continuation of just polarized speech that is affecting people's mindsets. So you know, that's, this goes back to, say, even 2012, then we saw 2016, 2020, and the, 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 the ratcheting up of the hob is just getting worse and worse. Political reporter Mark Scott says that's us. We're the lobster. The heat is a wave of online disinformation coming at us. And dinner time, it's the three major elections in 2024, in the EU, the UK, and the US. But it just turned up that extra twitch. And that, that for me, to use the lobster analogy, it just gets more hot, and we all know how the lobster ends in that, in that metaphor. Welcome back to Politico Tech. It's Thursday, October 5th, and I'm your host, Stephen Overly. On today's show, Mark and I talk through this unique political moment. The wave of disinformation designed to undermine the democratic process in countries around the world and the consequences for how it plays out online. So let's start with this kind of unprecedented moment we have coming up with 2024, right? Where we have elections in the US, the UK, and the EU all happening in the same calendar year, not to mention many other countries having um, major elections. What are the stakes as we look ahead to 2024 when it comes to the, these elections and, and the potential for misinformation? So there, there are two things here. We, we need to keep in mind that tech is just part of the bigger discussion, right? So as you say, the US, EU and UK have elections that will lead to an unprecedented change of leadership across multiple countries at, all at the same time, or at least within the first, the same 12 months. That's one thing. Within tech and digital, that's another conversation to have that is sort of a subset, but also very important. And my view is that as much as, you know, the discussions around who's going to be, you know, the next US president, who's going to be the next British prime minister is important. Many of these conversations are now happening in the digital space. And that is unfortunately even more toxic and polarized partisan now than it was, say, in 2020, let alone 2016. You know, mentioning these past election cycles, you know, you and I have been covering tech a long time. We kind of know how things transpired in the 2016 cycle with concerns about foreign election meddling and voter data being vacuumed up. 2020, we saw sort of a new wave of homegrown misinformation. Have we learned, you think, anything from those past two cycles? Uh, it does feel like we're having these same conversations uh, every four years as, as we face another uh, election. So I'm going to show my age and use a spinal tap analogy or metaphor with you, if you will. I just feel the things you described in 2016 and 2020 have just been turned up to 11, right? So I would argue that foreign interference is less of an issue, particularly in the US, than previous cycles, mostly because the domestic players and actors, be it Newsmax, CNN, or the, the politicians are just too big, big voices for the Russians to break through. But in terms of vacuuming up people's personal information to target them on social media. That is still there and it's got worse. Uh, the idea of, you know, either politicians or partisan groups targeting people online, either with ads or so-called organic content, it's just got worse. And on this side of the Atlantic in Europe, they've tried to pass some rules, which we might get into called the Digital Services Act. But in the US, 
for reasons that we all know, and we even saw in the House of Representatives, it's a difficult thing to get any legislation passed, particularly when there is this specter of, you know, are social media companies censoring right-wing voices? Or if you're a Democrat, are they not doing enough to mitigate some of the hate speech and misinformation that's out there? Well, it is, you know, this confluence of social media, you know, traditional media perpetuating and cycling through this misinformation. You know, when you when you talk about it getting turned up to 11, I wonder, do we have a sense of why this just seems to keep getting worse or, or at the very least more complex? You know, is is it uh, the the bad actors realizing that this is effective? Is it sort of the regulators on the beat kind of being asleep? You know, what's the what do you think is the cause there? I mean, this might get a bit philosophical, uh, but I think I see social media as, as a tool and it's a tool that kind of represents society. And unfortunately, we've seen this on both sides of the Atlantic and elsewhere, frankly, that people are just becoming more polarized, partisan and disjointed. You know, we, we just have different views that are becoming more entrenched. And unfortunately, social media is an amplification of that. So if people are walking down the street with either sort of, you know, Trump needs to go to jail or pro um, or MAGA t-shirts on, that then just gets amplified in the digital space to an nth degree. So I don't think it's a question of the bad actors or the partisan groups specifically saying, now now's our chance, that's you social media. It's just that social media is the the prism with unfortunately which many of us now spend our time and that is a reflection of the divided society, unfortunately, we are now living with at the end of 2023. And so I guess with that in mind, I mean, if social, you know, social media is sort of not exactly the problem, it maybe perpetuates or amplifies the problem, right? Is social media realistically part of the solution here? You know, there's been a lot of talk, for instance, about social media companies kind of pulling back on their election misinformation efforts. And I I wonder, looking ahead to 2024, do we have any idea of what their plans look like and whether they will be any more effective in preventing some of this stuff? I mean, as you say, many of these companies have pulled back on these teams, mostly for financial reasons, because you know, the, the last year was a pretty bad, or even this year was a bad advertising year for them. They still have thousands of people looking at this issue, both at elections and also a variety of different types of misinformation. So that they have their systems in place. They have people doing this work. The problem I have, and I most recently talked to them around the last weekend Slovak election and there's a Polish election coming up this weekend. So like elections are coming already now and they kind of tell me like everything's fine. We're doing what we can. But then when you push them to say, okay, but what does that look like? Like if you're taking down, I'm, I'm making this up like a thousand accounts because of misinfo, is that good? Is that bad? We, we just don't know. And at the moment we're, we're, we're living in a black box where even if social media companies tell us that they're doing a good job, we can't check their homework. And so to the point of how to quantify impact or figure out if they're doing a good job or not, we don't have the skills or tools available. And we have to kind of rely on their trust to see they're doing a good job. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. 
Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. You mentioned the Polish election coming up. Is that in any way uh, a harbinger for 2024 and, and what we might see in a lot of other other places next year when they uh, their voters head to the polls? So I'm by no means an expert in Polish uh, politics, but the, the quick backstory is that it is a very divided country on the, the borders Ukraine that has had in the past uh, significant amounts of Russian interference. And there is a very divided and hotly contested election between sort of a more sort of liberal, more pro-EU candidate and one who's more conservative and wants to sort of separate and, and do his own thing. What we've seen in, say, the last three or four months, and it's getting picked up even more now, is some of the anti-Ukrainian messaging that you could say is sort of helpful to Russia is getting through and is being weaponized domestically. But unlike before, this isn't coming directly from Putin or, or Moscow. It's being picked up and used by domestic actors for domestic reasons. So there is, I mean, the akin would be people who don't like in the US, people coming across the, the southern border, there are people similarly in Poland who don't like the fact that all of a sudden there are Ukrainian refugees everywhere, right? And so what they are now using is like, we should push them back. It's not nice that these Ukrainians are maybe committing crimes in Poland, etc. The thing I have a problem with is, or difficulty with, is that's a legitimate political view, right? I'm, you know, people may disagree or not with it, but it's not hate speech. It's not misinformation. It's just someone's political perspective. And how do you then... That's a very difficult thing to, to deal with because people may not like it, but it's not, doesn't mean it's, it's illegal. And so that's where we are right now in Poland. And I think that's an arbiter of what's going to happen next year, particularly in the US, is a lot of this stuff is going to be highly partisan, highly political, but legitimate and someone's perspective and viewpoint. And how do you deal with that in the existing polarized partisan times that we live in? That's going to be a very, very difficult thing to deal with. Absolutely. I mean, and, and we saw that in, in 2020 to a fair degree where you had domestic groups kind of adopting some of these tactics that, you know, Russian disinformation agents in particular had used in the past. And even when it is perpetuating disinformation, you know, I mean, I always like to say it's not illegal to lie on the Internet, you know, so that is protected political speech to some degree. Uh, and at the very least, unless, you know, these platforms step in and say that it violates their own policies. As we've seen, they they find themselves in hot water when they do that politically. So uh, it remains to be seen, I guess, to what extent they are as proactive in 2024 as maybe they've been in the past. I, I do want to step out of the Western perspective here for a second, because it's not just the UK, the US and the EU with elections next year. You know, India, Venezuela uh, have elections next year. What does this kind of conversation look like when we look to, you know, what's what's referred to as kind of the global south, right? Or essentially outside of the West, outside of some of the countries that, uh, you know, have uh, have longer legacies of democracy, for one, um, but also have maybe been confronting these issues even longer than than other countries have. So as I, I, the carrot here is like as one white white man to another, I'm not going to pretend to speak for the global south, but I, I do think uh, there is a sort of a at least from the policymakers I've been talking to, there is a sort of clear consensus across many of these countries where if you think trying to get something taken down or flagged to say Meta in the US is difficult, try that in Nigeria or Brazil or Sri Lanka, and there are three things I think that these countries primarily suffer from. One is a lack of focus from the platforms. It is 
fair to say that as much as Meta and Alphabet and TikTok say they care about all their users, the prim- primary focus of the election integrity work that they do is in Western Europe and in the US for, frankly, because that's where the money is and that's where the regulation is at the moment. Second of all is that they don't have the capacity in these countries to, to deal with some of these issues. So not only can't they talk to the platforms, they don't know then how to like how to fix it. And then the third option is, you know, I feel very uncomfortable with Western democracies who are very stable trying to decide what is good and bad speech. Now put yourself in a place like Brazil, where although Lula is maybe not as bad as Bolsonaro in terms of holding up democratic values, there are still some things problematic about how he's going about his business. And therefore you have this idea of, are we okay with Turkey taking out a free speech sort of um, limiting social media rule? Are we okay that with Sri Lanka? Both of these countries have their own domestic issues. And so where's the line between a country holding up its own legitimate national sovereignty over what happens domestically and it veering into censorship and repression to silence opposition voices? I guess as we look ahead to 2024, you know, here in Washington, I can tell you the conversations around election integrity are completely paralyzed by partisanship. There really has been no um, meaningful effort to, you know, try to tamp down on deep fakes, for instance, on, uh, you know, data privacy violations on on other types of misinformation, um, at, least, at least at the national level. So over there uh, on your side of the Atlantic, um, you know, there, there's been some more regulatory effort, at least out of the EU. Is there any chance that some of those laws and regulations will have an impact on any of this uh, in the 24 cycle? So the, the rules you're referring to are the Digital Services Act, which kind of came into force in late, late August. And to give the readers, uh, listeners a quick, you know, Cliff Notes version, it requires the platforms to be more onerous in terms of how they monitor disinformation, hate speech, and then take active measures to take that down and also to show they've taken it down. To be very clear, this is about hate speech. Illegal speech is not about not very nice speech. So things that are legal but not very nice, that stays up. Within Brussels, and I was there two weeks ago, there is a sense that you know we now have the rulebook to get this done. The EU parliamentary elections are happening in, in June, and they are very eager to show the world, uh, particularly the US, frankly, that, that you know this is the rulebook that everyone should follow. I think it's a bit misguided to think that you know the Commission, European Commission, within six months of these rules taking effect, will have any meaningful change. I think it's too soon. They don't have the money. Uh, the Commission doesn't have the personnel in place, and so I think what we'll see next year is a lot of rhetoric around look at how great the Digital Services Act is, and oh. Washington, you might want to follow suit too. But then when push comes to shove, we won't see much impact of those rules. Um, but definitely not for Poland at the weekend. Sorry, in two weeks time, excuse me. And definitely not for June. But it's one of these things that's like a small, slow drip that come back to me in two years time and we might see an effective change. But I think the June parliamentary elections in Europe is too soon to say anything meaningful change. Let me just ask one final question. You know, at the end of your article, there was a quote from uh, an an activist with a nonprofit group called Digital Action, um, who, you know, she essentially said, we're we're facing this mega election cycle, and uh, no one is prepared. How do you kind of characterize what we are on the precipice of right now? And then, you know, if we zoom ahead to the end of uh, 2024, what 
you know, what does the a worst case scenario look like? Without being too hyperbolic, you look what happened in Brasilia earlier this year with the after the Brazilian elections, it led to offline violence. We look at January 6th, it led to offline violence. I think if we have a point where people in the US or overseas don't trust in the outcome of the election, and that is fueled to a degree by what they see in social media, that leads to offline violence and in the awful worst case, potential deaths. No one wants that, but I think we already have had too many examples in the very recent past of this happening to not take that as a serious threat. Well, Mark, it's always good to talk to you, even with the conversation is not uh, the most uplifting. But uh, thank you for being here on Politico Tech. Thanks for having me. That's all for today's Politico Tech. What misinformation concerns are weighing on your mind ahead of 2024? Tell us at techpodcast at politico.com. And for more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our senior producer is Annie Reese. Our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll see you back here tomorrow.